Ladies and gentlemen, you found the program that pulls no punches, that knocks out political correctness, and delivers a right cross to defend the Constitution. We call it Fighting Words. And now, entering the ring, retired infantry colonel, trial lawyer, and fighter for truth and justice, Kurt Schlichter. Welcome back to another edition of Fighting Words with Kurt Schlichter, the Hugh Hewitt-affiliated podcast that tries to maintain some FCC compliance. I'm not making any promises. I don't know if I can commit to that. We'll see what happens because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We got to talk about Bernie. We got to talk about Rick Grinnell. We have to talk about coronavirus. Let's start with that because it kind of ties into everything else because I think that is the big story out there and of course Hugh Hewitt was the guy who pioneered it he was the first on the job he was the first on the case he was saying there's something going on here everybody look no one was looking I still don't think they're looking in the way that I expect them to as this grows because folks it is growing it is growing and growing and growing we've got cases in Iran we have cases in Italy we have cases in South Korea overnight hundreds of new cases Uh, and some deaths. It's scary, folks. This is a real pandemic, and we've got to ask ourselves some questions about how big it's going to get and what's going to happen here. And I don't mean just the pandemic. I mean the political implications of it, because those exist too. We've got to talk about it all. Let's start with something I consider a bit bizarre. I consider a bit strange. I consider not exactly what I expected. You see, The media has yet to be blaming Donald Trump for coronavirus. Now, of course, coronavirus is not Donald Trump's fault. It is not something he caused. Apparently, it was caused by Chinese people eating weird stuff like bats and pangolins. No, it's the response. It's the Katrina effect. And uh, Hugh, and, and, and to some extent me, have been talking about how the media would love to hang a, uh, a Katrina around Trump's neck. Now, of course, the Katrina uh, thing against uh, George W. Bush was completely bogus. The federal response was unbelievable. It was amazing to move that much men and materials into a place so quickly, which is what the federal government did, was a, a remarkable achievement. And, of course, the problems on the ground were primarily local Democrat administrators, local Democrat politicians. Uh, None of that mattered. George Bush got the blame. It hung around his neck. And it was one of the big black marks on his record led to his decrease in popularity. So I'm thinking that the, uh, the, the establishment, the media, would love to do that to Donald Trump. Coronavirus provides that opportunity. They haven't taken it. I find that a little strange. Now, just the other day, a New York Times report came out where it was reported that President Trump was angry because some faceless bureaucrats had allowed Americans with the coronavirus to come back to the United States. And if you've been listening to Hugh, he he reported on this. Allowed them to come back to the United States instead of staying in Japan. They were on a cruise ship or something. Um. Wow, it wasn't it wasn't featured as 
Donald Trump's administration incompetently screws this thing up. Instead, it was Donald Trump looks at these bureaucrats and says, what the hell is going on? What are you idiots doing? That's kind of... That's kind of off message, at least off the message that I bet they want. Oh, I think it's true. Now, because you see, Donald Trump's going to handle this thing the way he handles everything else. He's going to handle it in a pragmatic, kind of common sensey way. Um, And pragmatically and commonsensically, if that's a word, you don't bring people with a communicable disease into the United States. There is no reason they couldn't have stayed in Japan and been treated there. Japan's a modern country. It's got modern medical facilities. They would have been just fine. Instead, the bureaucrat, nah, we'll put them on a plane. We'll put them on a plane with other people who don't have it, and we'll fly them back. And Donald Trump looks at it and goes, are you idiots? I have a feeling this is not going to continue. I have a feeling word is going to go out that we're not going to do stupid stuff. But I got to tell you, word has got to continue to go out. Word has got to go out in a much better and much more effective way. Um, I think Donald Trump needs to get ahead of this. I think he needs to be talking about it. I need he need. I think he needs a good face for the response to the virus. Uh, there was some talk of uh, what was it name Ron Klain who did it for. Barack Obama when we had the Ebola crisis um, and he was kind of the face of it. Now he's a Democrat. He's working for Bernie, uh, uh, Joe Biden on the plus side. Doesn't look like he's going to have that, uh, you know, that responsibility for much longer because Joe Biden's going down the tubes. Oh, we will talk about that. That's coming up here on fighting words with Kurt Schlichter. But in any case, we need to get somebody out there and I think it should be somebody bipartisan. Uh, although there's a little problem. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, to get out there and show the American people, hey, we're getting ahead of this because this thing's gonna this thing's gonna have impact, and it's important that Donald Trump not only be in charge and have this under control, but look like he's doing that because as we saw with Katrina, looks can be deceiving. You have to look the part as well as do the part. Uh, you know, President Bush. Was the kind of guy who said, well, I'm doing fine. It really doesn't matter what people think. No, 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 George, no. Morale is vital. This is a morale thing. And that's that's in a, in a large part why it's going to apply to the economy, which, of course, means it applies to the election. It's also a confidence thing. Um, so does Donald Trump appoint a Democrat like Ron Klein? Well, there's a problem. Because as we've seen, people who uh, are not directly loyal to the president, who are not explicitly pro-Trump, will tend to trash him. So he's got to be very careful. If he's going to get somebody bipartisan, it's got to be somebody who's not going to run to the media. And unfortunately, we have seen far too many people run to the media who we thought were otherwise squared away. Uh, General John Kelly, the Marine. What was that? Talking out of school about... The Trump administration? I mean, it's like I, I think I said last week, if somebody show, if a new soldier showed up on, in his unit who had been fired in another unit, shows up at Kelly's unit, and starts talking bad about his old unit, Kelly boot him out of there. John Bolton talking out of school. You know, this is, this is a real problem. When you have establishment figures who figure, well, you know, I don't have to respect... You know, Trump, I don't have to show any kind of loyalty. What they're doing is showing that you cannot, you know, you have to have active loyalists. That you can't have people who are 
committed to the process enough to say, well, I could get short-term political advantage, but if I talk out of school, it's going to mean the president is only going to uh, focus on loyalists. That's the price. So when you get... People go, well, he's getting a loyalist like Rick Grinnell. And, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about Rick. He's hiring a loyalist like Rick Grinnell to be director of national intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know what? Because you establishment guys have proven yourself untrustworthy. Not only leaking, but actually, you know, talking out of school. Trump can't talk to them and rely on them to keep things in confidence. So they, they, they put themselves out of a job. But, 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 but what? Should we repeal human nature? Trump is under no obligation to hire people who are going to stab him in the back. And as for coronavirus, of course, the face of the coronavirus thing has got to be somebody who is not going to stab, you know, who's not going to come down in like October and go, Trump completely botched this thing. So that's kind of a problem. What's the effect going to be of this whole thing? Got a little cold, so I'm having my tea as we go. What is the, what's going to be the effect of the coronavirus on the United States? Well, first of all, um, I think it's going to have some, uh, you know, it's already disrupting supply chains in China. I don't think it's as bad as people say, but it could get really bad. And that may have some problems here in the United States because we have found out, um, much to our chagrin, that we rely on China an awful lot. Now, of course, that's a two-way street. They rely on us for an awful lot, like of money. But China makes a lot of our drugs. It makes a lot of our electronics. It makes a lot of our raw materials, uh, you know, metal and steel and that sort of stuff. Um, if China is not selling stuff, then we're not able to buy stuff we need. That could have an economic impact here. So far, stock market doesn't think so. My stocks are going up, up, up. Your stocks are probably going up, up, up. It's, you know, the business community does not believe this is going to lead to a downturn. Not yet. Now, we have seen some, uh, we have seen some uh, market volatility based on coronavirus fears. And they've been assuaged. And it's generally going up, but, you know, that could turn around. We could see an economic downturn caused largely by the coronavirus. There is going to be some impact. I think it's going to slow growth a little. That's not going to help Donald Trump. But, you know, he's already done pretty well on the economy. And frankly, if you look, you know, yeah, well, gosh, screwing up the economy. Better get the socialist in here because it looks like Bernie Sanders is going to win. Um, So we have two things. The, The confidence issue. The economic issue. These are going to affect the uh, 2020 election. And I think those are the two things to be worried about if you're a Republican. Because I'm frankly not that worried about the two most likely candidates. Now, we just saw Bernie Sanders crush the opposition in Nevada. I mean, he just, there's there's no question. He is the front runner. And we've got tiny Mike Bloomberg lurking under a toadstool out there, waiting to jump in. Eventually, you know, eventually he's going to have to do something. I mean, he he got slaughtered in the uh, in the debate. I mean, it's just broken and humiliated. Um, he, he, you know, Elizabeth Warren, if you'll pardon the expression, scalped him, um, and hurt her back bending down to do it because he's tiny. You see, in any case, um, it's going to be Bloomberg or it's going to be. Sanders. 
um, Buttigieg, who, you know, I, and I love Hugh, but I just don't understand why Hugh is so impressed by this guy. I, he is a singularly unaccomplished little man. He is annoying. Uh, he is, um, you know, tiresome. If, you know, he has got to stop the uh, more Jesus than you and I'm Audie Murphy acts because I'm, I'm just, you know, no, I'm over it. I think the American people are over it. I don't think he is a particularly appealing guy to the Midwest. I think he's a particularly appealing guy um, to people in faculty lounges, uh, much like Elizabeth Warren. He has a uh, selective appeal, so to speak. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, she you know she had that tiny bump up when she was kicking around Bloomberg, and she's back to you know failure as usual. Um, she's off to the happy hunting ground soon enough. Joe Biden is just a a disaster on every level. Uh, he's gone. You know he's never won a primary. He's won for president like three times. He's never won a primary. I was worried about Joe Biden, and I kind of feel bad about that because it's so manifestly clear that he's a disaster on every level. And he, how, how did I ever think this guy was a threat? Um, oh, well, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather be worried that somebody's a threat and have him not be a threat than not worry about them and have him be a threat. Um, that said, Bloomberg and uh, what's his name? Um, Bernie, that crusty communist curmudgeon. I, I think... Bernie Sanders is going to come closest to winning the nomination. I think Bloomberg and the Democrat establishment may steal it from him. That's going to be bad. Um, I'm more worried about Bloomberg if the coronavirus thing makes the economy go south and uh, shows a leadership deficit. Because, you know, I, I I don't like Bloomberg at all. I think he's a little authoritarian, fascist, aspiring creep. But, but, he is also somebody who seems to have kind of a leadership vibe that nobody else in the um, Democrat field has. I think his lane is, I want to appeal to suburban moms who want somebody stable. And, oh, I'm going to get make those uh, hicks give up their guns. Um He's, uh, that, that's where he is. And I, I think he could be appealing if we have a coronavirus disaster. I think otherwise he's kind of unappealing. And, um, if the election is about leadership, uh, he may have a better chance. If the election is about pure policies, I think Trump wins in the absence, again, of a coronavirus, um, disaster. Bernie, nobody thinks he's a leader. They all think he's a weirdo. He, he does not exude leadership. He exudes uh, uh, the, the dingy musk of dorm room bong hit residue. He's just, you know, he's just that creepy guy. Uh, the thing I like about the Democrats is Bloomberg is going to start the Civil War. He is going to start the Civil War in the Democrat Party. I mean, he is not going to go gently into the night. Uh, he thinks accurately that uh, Bernie Sanders is a disaster. Uh, Bernie D- Sanders uh, appeals to a very narrow uh, core bin. Get it? See, that's kind of a pun. A narrow core bin group of Democrat voters. 
much like Jeremy Corbyn did over uh, over in Britain. And they got their clocks cleaned. I mean, they got wiped out. And I think that's what will happen with Bernie Sanders. You know, Hugh makes a really good point about clarification. It's no secret that Hugh has voted for Bernie Sanders in the Virginia primary already by uh, mail. Because he wants to see a clear differentiation. He wants to say, okay, this is socialism. Are you going to vote for socialism? We'll talk about it and then you get to decide. And I don't, I, and, and, you know, the, the unspoken assertion, the unspoken premise is, of course, we're not going to vote for this lunatic. And I, I think he was right. I think, uh, I think that the American people will not vote for Bernie Sanders. I think it'll be a McGovern, Mondale-like wipeout. Uh, we'll see what happened overseas. It doesn't mean you take it, you know, easily. I mean, you take it not seriously. But I just don't see Bernie Sanders pulling this off. Especially after we start really talking about what he means. Everybody who wants to give up their doctor and let the Department of Motor Vehicles handle your Medicare, medical care, raise your hands. Oh, by the way, you'll be paying for all these illegal aliens. We're not going to deport anybody. Anybody who wants to come in can. Y'all cool with that? That sound good? No, these things don't sound good. Not at all. 52% tax rate. Y'all good on that? You guys in like... Uh, Rich liberal areas like California and Connecticut, you good with 52%. That's just federal. And then are 10%. So you're paying like 65%. You want to pay your fair share, right? You know, I, 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 I have kind of experience with liberal hypocrisy. I remember during the LA riots, I was out with the army. And, uh, you know, the liberal, always talking a good game. During the riots, you know, Beverly Hills, home of, uh, you know, champagne socialism and limousine liberalism sealed off the town with its cops you you if you were you know if you were a minority you did not get into beverly hills because it was there were riots you you just did not get in they are not they they these guys are posers once they see what you know Bernie Sanders is really about Alamo will go, yes, I really hate Trump. Then run in and go, Trump cut my taxes, cut ching. Um and I and, and don't be surprised, do not be surprised if Donald Trump goes and um offers more tax reform that uh, undoes some of the um limitations on state and federal taxes. Deductibility. So another tax cut designed to make some of these suburban folks who realize that they're not getting to deduct all their taxes. I don't get to deduct anywhere near what I pay uh, in in state tax and local tax. Um, Watch how he raises that. Make it, you know, just a little easier to swallow Donald Trump if you're one of those uh, uh, suburban liberals facing a Bernie Sanders. But, uh, But there is a huge possibility that Bernie Sanders will have a fight at the convention fueled by billions of dollars from that malignant dwarf, um, Mike Bloomberg. And and what happens then? What do the Bernie bros do? Now, the Bernie bros are convinced that they were going to win last time and it was stolen from them. And that may or may not be true. I, you know, it's irrelevant to me, but I am going to mock them about it. And you should find my town hall column, uh, from the week of the 17th of February uh, about Bernie bros are going to get suckered again because it was rather brutal 
where I basically said, you idiots, you think you got ripped off in 2016. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you think you did. And you're definitely going to get ripped off this time. They are definitely going to try and steal the election that you guys are winning. Look, I mean, you know, the Democrats have chosen. It, we're only, uh, we're only uh, three primary caucuses in. It's pretty clear where the Democrats want to go. And they want to go back to St. Petersburg uh, and, uh, uh, and Moscow and uh, storm the Kremlin and all that sort of stuff. They want Bernie Sanders. And it is, uh, it is evident they want Bernie Sanders. And the establishment, you know, like Carville and, you know, others like Chris Matt, they, they get it. They get that this is going to be a disaster. Um, what do the Bernie guys do if, in fact, as I think very possible, uh, Mike Bloomberg comes in and basically steals the nomination by buying everybody off? Do they play along? And I, I think I, I, I saw a statistic today. It just kind of surprised me because I, I kind of expected them. You know, if you believe in socialism, you're already kind of a stupid sucker. So I kind of expect them to be obedient, but 53% would not commit to supporting uh, the, uh, only three, 53% would commit to supporting any nominee. Only 53%. That means 47% of Democrat voters would not necessarily commit to supporting a Mike Bloomberg if he essentially stole the nomination, which is, I think, what he'd have to do. That's huge. I did not expect that. Now, in the end, how many of them would? A lot of them go, well, Donald Trump's racist, sexist, transphobic, Islamophobic. Uh, he's got funny hair. He's cisgendered. I, you know, he's, he's Hitler, literally. Blah, 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 blah. And a lot of them come along and do what, do what they're told. But I, I think a lot of them will sit it out. And I do not... I think it is unlikely, but it is possible. Bernie Sanders goes, no, we're going to have a third party. I got to teach you guys a lesson. And the only way you'll learn is through pain. Third party. He could actually do it. Uh, third party kills the Democrats. So we've got, you know, quite quite a situation here. What's going to happen? And, of course, the big variable, the coronavirus. So next year's going to be interesting. It should be super interesting if we have a uh, Supreme Court vacancy. Now you know that's going to happen. I want to be clear. I'm not wishing ill health or harm on anybody. Okay? I, you know, the obvious one is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, I, I respect her as a dedicated opponent. She is a tough cookie. She has uh, been a thorn in our side. She keeps going like the Energizer Bunny. And I do not wish her any harm. That what I do want to do is talk about, you know, possibilities. And there is a huge possibility that we have a Supreme Court vacancy before the election. I mean, I think, I think one in three. I think there's a one in three chance we have a Supreme Court vacancy and probably one that means the uh, majority, which is 5-4 right now. You know, Sotomayor is freaking out. She was uh, She just went publicly and basically... I think the media kind of overplayed it, but she was kind of hinting, well, you you conservatives are, you know, you're helping Trump too much. You're leaning over for him. Nobody ever does that to liberals. No one ever comes out and goes, you know, you guys are leaning over for liberals. It's always leaning over for conservatives, but whatever. 
they understand that their ability to make policy through the undemocratic means of having judges in Hawaii tell us what we have to do because of numbers and emanations in the con, uh, Constitution. Uh, those days are coming to an end. Uh, thank you, Cocaine Mitch, you murder turtle, you. What's he up to, like 200 new judges? Uh, we're, we're close to flipping the Ninth Circuit. There was an article in the LA Times about flipping the Ninth Circuit. And, of course, all the judges are complaining. All the old judges are secretly complaining about the new judges. Good. Uh, I've actually been in front of the Ninth Circuit a couple times, just like Hugh has. Uh, and, um, you know, it can be a uh, daunting experience. Um, I, I, I had uh, some of the justices who are not there did not impress me. Uh, I was very impressed by a liberal one. I thought he asked very, very good questions. It wasn't a political case. It was just you know business case. Um, but, you know, it's really changing the makeup of the Ninth Circuit and the other circuits and the Supreme Court. It's going to have a huge effect. And if that goes off in an election year, oh, my goodness, it's going to be amazing. I mean, and you know, just after like the last five years, you know it's got to happen. You know, everything's a black swan now. It's a whole flock of black swans. And there's like one white swan. That's the normal swan. Everything else is a black swan. Um, did you ever think that Donald Trump would be the first guy to appoint a openly gay cabinet official? Because he did with Rick Grinnell. Rick Grinnell, big friend of the show, personal friend of Hughes, personal friend of mine. Uh, great guy, Harvard-trained, smooth as silk, cosmopolitan. I can't say enough good about Rick Grinnell. In fact, I talk about him in my town hall column of February 24th, which you should look up because it's amazing. Uh, Donald Trump, he assigned him as the ambassador of Germany where he went and turned everything upside down. He told the Germans, you need to, you need to pull out their wallet, Fritz, and start paying your fair share of NATO. You need to not rely with this Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline on Russian natural gas. That's a bad idea. <coughs> you need to stop playing footsie with the Iranian mullahs. And the Germans are like, oh. and the foreign policy establishment I can't believe you're standing up for American interest. Do you know how angry that makes our allies? And Grinnell's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't care. I'm America's ambassador. What country do you, you know, remember that? Remember that old uh, thing? I forget who it was, where he would, where the, uh, you know, Secretary of State would point at a map in front of the ambassadors and go, "What country do you represent?" And they would all point to the place they were ambassador of. You go, "No, you represent the United States." Well, that's the way it's got to be. And Rick gets that. And the thing about Rick is he is everything the establishment thinks it is. He's got the credentials. He went to Harvard. He has the experience. He was uh, years at the uh, UN. Um, he knows how to communicate. He is, a, he is smooth as silk. And he is completely pro-America, pro-Trump, pro-loyal. I mean, he is just... He, he just rejects the establishment's premises. And they can't get it because he is what they want to be and he's better at being what they want to be than they are. Um, he's been the most important ambassador. I mean, really, do you do you remember any other ambassadors? Really? For anything good in the last 20 years or so? I mean, is there any... You know, that was a great ambassador. 
Not, I'm not talking to the UN. That's kind of a different animal. I'm talking to a random country. He's basically our ambassador to Europe. And um, he's done an incredible job. And yeah, the foreigners don't like him because he's done an incredible job. The establishment doesn't like him because he's done an incredible job. They are not terrified that he's going to damage the uh, intelligence community. They're, gonna, they're, they're, they're terrified he's going to make it hold, uh, hold it accountable. Because I've, I've got to ask, and you know, I, I ask this on Twitter because I occasionally tweet, what is the track record of success that you guys in the intelligence community are terrified Rick Grinnell's going to derail? Really, where's your track record? What, how's he going to make it any worse? I, I mean, we don't need to go back to start with Iraq, but we can start with Iraq. They've been wrong, 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 wrong. And then they, and the only thing they've done is get to interfere in politics with the whole Russia, Trump, Russia thing. They did again last week. You know, this, this briefing to Congress, which of course leaks. Oh, Putin's trying to interfere with the election in favor of Trump. And of course, you know, a couple days later, there's more leaks where they're like, yeah, we, we in that briefing, we kind of said, what's your evidence? And they didn't give us any. And, of course, Robert O'Brien, our friend of the show, great national security advisor, heads in uh, to the Sunday morning shows, or I think it was a Saturday morning show, uh, and says, I haven't seen this evidence. Well, how dare him ask for evidence? How dare him ask for proof? It is known that. You know, no. No. Here's what's going to happen. As I wrap up this edition of Fighting Words, guys like uh, Robert O'Brien, guys like Rick Grinnell, and other great people that they're bringing into the administration, we're going to start clearing out the deadwood, and we're going to start making sure you got pros in there, real professionals, you know, folks who know what they're doing. And, you know, Trump came into office, he didn't have this um, knowledge base among his supporters that would easily trans easily um, help populate all these jobs. He didn't know these guys. He had to hire a lot of establishment types and a lot of them shafted him, but he's now he's been bringing in people who are loyal to him, who share his vision and support it. And lo and behold, after three years in office, these guys now have experience. He has now built a cadre of experienced people to man the federal government. Think of how it's going to be after eight years. All we got to do is beat Bloomberg or Bernie and keep this coronavirus stuff well in hand. If we can do that, boom. Four more years of Trump, we'll have a whole you know, generation of conservative folks to man the government, to man the institutions, to start the process of unscrewing what's been screwed up. This is uh, yet another edition of Fighting Words. I hope you will join me soon with uh, the next one. I'm not sure when I'll do that because I'm going to CPAC this week. Maybe I will do it from CPAC. That could be interesting. Maybe we'll have some guests. Uh, Check out my books, including the latest novel, Collapse, uh, which is action-packed, hailed by Bill Crystal as appalling, so you want to check that out. Check out my columns on Town Hall Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and, of course, my unredacted podcast, which also drops on Mondays. you want to check that out, it's behind the VIP wall at Town Hall. 
Uh, there, I'm not so reticent about uh, violating FCC norms and customs. So I will talk to you guys soon on the next edition of Kurt Schlichter's Fighting Words. Bye-bye.